Welcome to our September Rewind. Each week, we'll replay one of our most popular episodes from season one, but with an intro from a guest who has a special connection to the topic. We'll be back for season two with all new content starting October 4th. So without further ado, here's our special guest. Hello to all you Scandal Water listeners. My name is Austin, and I've been asked to give an introduction to episode seven, Into the Pit with Cobra Kai. So I go way back with all things Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. I can vividly remember as about a kindergarten first grader, my parents bringing home this thing called a VCR that looked like it was about the size of a dining room table. And they had this tape with a movie on it called Karate Kid. And I can remember immediately being swept away into the world of Danny LaRusso, Johnny Lawrence, Mr. Miyagi, and John Kreese. And these characters were such defining icons of my childhood and the 80s. I remember wearing Danny LaRusso pajamas, the, the full-on Karate Kid outfit with the bandana and wore those almost every day. I can remember trying to crane kick my sister when she would get on my nerves. I can remember trying to karate chop two by fours and I was not at all successful and that's when I gave up any future potential of having a career in karate. But that's what's so enjoyable about this episode. It is truly a trip down memory lane. There's such insightful commentary from the ladies and behind the scenes anecdotes, the producers and interviews, and just it's really interesting to go through how Cobra Kai has really honored the legacy of the Karate Kid films and also built upon that legacy. If you have not seen Cobra Kai, you have to watch it. It is an absolutely amazing show. And this is a fantastic episode of just remembering and and bringing all of that together and learning some insightful ways the producers have used the old movies to tie to this new generation and this new show with new characters but also tie to those iconic characters of the 80s it's truly a great episode and i'm sure you will enjoy listening welcome to scandal water where the tea is hot and the conversation lively your hosts candy and ashley will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry this podcast might not change the world but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale oh it's that time of day tune in and hear what the ladies say it's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears stories about the stage and screen and everything in between so come on and join the fun the curtain opens in three I'm excited about our topic today. I am too. I cannot wait. Uh, We need to warn our listeners. There will be a lot of spoilers, however, as we talk today about Cobra Kai. Yes. But Ashley, you know, before we jump right in, we always like to kind of warm up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I decided today that I am going to hit you with a pop quiz. Ooh. And it's okay if you don't do well, because I believe you have told me that you are not super familiar with of course, the the predecessor to Cobra Kai, the the whole um, film, Karate Kid, right? The film yeah. series on which it's based, I, Karate I Kid. Say not familiar. I would say I never saw the movies. Okay. So I was culturally aware of them as a child of the '80s. I knew the Wax On, Wax Off. I knew the Bonsai Tree. I knew who they were. It just didn't appeal to me. Okay. Well, you're going to do better than 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 I predicted, probably. Okay. All right. Three questions. Question number one: Can you name? three of the actors who were in the original Karate Kid movies. Okay. Ralph Macchio. Um, I don't know the name of Mr. Miyagi. Does that, can I just say Mr. Miyagi? Does that count? 
Close enough. Pat okay. Morita. Okay. And then I only know the third one because I just watched the first two episodes of Cobra Kai. So Elizabeth Shue. Yes. Isn't she cute? She's adorable. She was adorable in that. <laughs> I can see why she caused so much strife yes. and conflict. Good job. Question number two, and you've already kind of segued into this one. Try to name three famous phrases that Karate Kid prompted in our pop culture. Well, the first one would be wax on, wax off. Nailed it. Okay. Danielson? Was that one? That's what Mr. Miyagi called Daniel a lot. Okay. Uh, Grasshopper? Was that used? I don't remember that one. Okay. You I'm, could be right. I, I may have failed this one. The only one I know is wax on, wax off for sure. Okay. Well, that is obviously one of the very, the most popular ones. So that's good job. I'll throw in a couple more okay. just to get us going. Have you heard of No Mercy? I had not. First you learn to stand, then you learn to fly? Probably. Okay. No such thing as a bad student, only a bad teacher. That sounds familiar. All right. That sounds very Yoda-ish though. It, it does, doesn't it? Get him a body bag? Mm-mm. Okay. Nope. We'll, we'll come back to that one. Okay. All right. Last question. You're going you're gonna to nail this one. Okay. What character was the source of the wisdom in the Karate Kid movies? I would say Yoda Miyagi. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Ashley, I have to confess. Mm-hmm. I had not seen Karate Kid either until this past week. Oh, really? Okay. I had seen maybe little bits and pieces here and there, but this past week I sat down with my son who had also never seen the entire movie and my husband who had, and we watched it and I really loved it. You're talking about the original, right? The original, 1984 Karate Kid. However... Oh, no wonder I didn't see it. I would have been four when it came out. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. However, I've seen all of Cobra Kai. Okay. And even without having that background of Karate Kid and, you know, seeing the entire movie, I loved Cobra Kai. So... When when we decided to do this episode, I was super excited, but I wanted to take a minute and kind of dig back in myself. Okay. You know, how popular was Karate Kid? And I looked it up. It was a huge success, actually. It grossed $100 million in the United States and Canada. This is 1984. Yeah, so that's, that's $84. Right. That's 1984 money. So it was one of the highest grossing films of 1984, and it was Hollywood's biggest sleeper hit of the year. No kidding. Two years later, Karate Kid 2 came out. Because, of course, there was a sequel. Of course. And it was also hugely popular. It was one of the highest grossing films of 1986. And then Karate Kid 3 was released in 1989. But this one was disappointing in terms of its box office gross. Okay. maybe. Okay. So now I'm thinking maybe that's why. Because I would have been about nine at that point. So if that had been a huge hit, I probably would have gone back and watched the other two. So if it wasn't that popular, maybe that was also why I just didn't catch catch on to it. And I think there were two more attempts to revitalize the series, right? Hillary Swank mm-hmm. and then Jaden Smith. Absolutely. Yeah, 1994 was when Hillary Swank was in that version. Also, I think with Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. Oh. And of course, by the time Jaden Smith did it, I'm not sure what year that was, but that's more recent, what, the last mm-hmm. six or seven years? Most likely. Karate Kid 3 was not only disappointing in terms of the money that it brought in, but it was also um, not critically well-received. It had negative reviews, and a lot of people said that it just rehashed the same plot. I was going to ask that. Do you think they just were trying to reheat the original? I, I think so. Now, Ralph Macchio did say in an interview that from the very beginning, it was planned to be a three-film sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, he, his contract mm-hmm. specified that. So it was always in the works that it would be three films, but I think they probably just ran out of 
Ideas. Ideas, exactly. So Cobra Kai has also been hugely successful. The premise, if you've not heard about the kind of the big picture, is they've taken these main rivals from the 1984 summer hit. Was Johnny in part two and three? Well, I've not seen those. Um, Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) I believe, I'm pretty sure he's in the second one, but I don't think he's the main rival because um, what I do know, I, I believe they go to Japan and there's this whole other kind of villain or rival that that Daniel has to face off against if okay. I if I understand correctly. Okay. But this this Cobra Kai reboot here faces Daniel off against Johnny. It's 34 years after that infamous championship bout that they faced off in that all valley karate championship and it, it kind of pits them against each other again, except, of course, their circumstances have changed so much. The series became an overnight sensation. In fact, season one of Cobra Kai scored a 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't doubt it. <laughs> when you told me you were doing this this series, and I knew I was very uninformed about the whole, the whole thing, you asked me to watch a couple episodes. So I watched a couple nights ago... So it'd be fresh. I watched episodes one and two and I stopped there because I felt like they were the intro to those two characters Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to go from there. But I want to say that episode one is one of the best written Mm -hmm. first episodes of any series I've ever seen. There's a thing and because I've done writing before, they talk about that if you want to write a good character, you put them up in a tree and throw rocks at them, which means <laughs> you put them in a situation and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And when we meet Johnny, his day, he, we go through a couple of days with mm-hmm. him and his days just get worse and worse and worse until he truly hits rock bottom. And that's when he starts to turn things around, if you want to say that. But I also want to say that it made having not seen the films and having not seen him as a villain in those films, mm-hmm. I had humongous amounts of sympathy for Johnny. And, and I thought it painted Daniel as kind of a jerk in episode one, because he obviously had no self-awareness that <laughs> this guy was really suffering and, and his victory had been somebody else's defeat. So in episode two, they kind of turn it around and they show you a little bit about Daniel and his and his life. But still, I feel like Daniel is coming from this really privileged place. Mm. And I my as of episode two, my sympathies are still with Johnny, even though I can see he's going to go down a bad path. Ooh, what you say is very insightful and actually I'm sure would thrill the producers because I did a lot of research for this. Mm-hmm. This was this was challenging because I bet. oh my goodness, there were so many interviews and so many clips and so many articles that I had a little bit of a, a challenge trying to figure out how I wanted to structure this. Well, I will say, and I don't know if you're going to address this, but toward the end of episode two, where Daniel comes in to confront him, I was so glad that Johnny told the truth about mm. the original fight because there was a, he could have quote unquote played, played it cool or, or not said what the original fight was, but he told him, no, I beat up, I beat up kids that were picking on someone half their size. So I was really glad he, he said, no, 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 this is what happened and made Daniel kind of, he took in the information, but then you could tell he kind of discarded it. Hmm. So I also had the feeling, because that's just, just the way I am, I thought, I really hope they become friends one day and then have to unite against a common enemy like Woody and Buzz. That's <laughs> that's what I wanted for them. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's what I wanted. Oh, well, you you might be you might be pleased. You never know, Ashley. Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> well, as I said, this, this uh, episode is going to contain a lot of spoilers, so we're going to get there. But, and but, just for the record, I don't mind spoilers. 
Good. I hope our listeners don't. You may have to skip and come back to this after you finish the Just, series. Yeah, or don't so. listen to it. Yeah, if come you come seen back it. to it in a, in a month or so after yeah. you've had a chance to watch. But to go back to your previous point, the producers in an interview talked about the fact that it was a challenge. Daniel was such the underdog yes. and such the hero yes. of the original Karate Kid movie, and I'm sure the other two as well that I have not seen, that it was a challenge to start Cobra Kai and to, to paint Johnny in a way that was sympathetic. That was a very intentional choice. And I'm going to I'm gonna agree with them because having just watched Karate Kid, the 1984 version this week, Johnny was a jerk. Was he? Like, oh my mm-hmm. goodness. He was the most horrible person. It was hard to find anything redeeming about him. Mm-hmm. And so once I saw this movie, it made so much more sense to me what I read in this interview. The producers talked about the fact that for 34 years, approximately, since that movie came out, all these people have been thinking about... Daniel is the hero and Johnny is this terrible jerk. And if this <laughs> if this series was going to work, they had to show him as an underdog. They had yes. to somehow create sympathy for him, show him as somebody that we cared for, that we actually wanted to root for a bit, despite how crass he might be or, or some of the terrible decisions he might make. And so they immediately set out to do that. And the fact that you reacted in the way you did, yes. to me, says that they were successful. Yes, absolutely. Whoever the, I didn't look up who the writer is, but it, it, kudos to that writer. And it was also good because they gave him a sense of humor with Miguel they didn't, even when he was training him, and Miguel is clearly, at least in episode one, I don't know what he becomes, but in, in episode one, he's or episode one and two, he, he's clearly not cut out for this life. And it's just funny to see their relationship develop where he's making him clean the <laughs> toilet and he's making him do all this stuff. And it's just, it, it just was cute. So it wasn't, I like that they added the humor is my point. Absolutely. I did. I did too. In thinking about how to, again, organize or kind of structure this episode so that it was not just a hodgepodge of random facts, I tried to think about what made sense to me. I thought about structuring it in this way. What is it that has made Cobra Kai so successful? And I tried to distill it down into three main categories or three main elements that I felt were behind It's success, success. exactly. And so the first element that I I keyed into is the fact that the writers and producers and actors of Cobra Kai clearly want to honor the original movies and the original themes through the callbacks and the Easter eggs that are just pervasive throughout the entire thing. In episode one, where he's like, hang on, hang on a minute, Johnny. And I hope you don't mind me interrupt because I kind of want... Oh, no, please. I kind of want to get in there and just give my impressions before you tell me. Mm-hmm. When he goes, hang on, Johnny, I thought, don't bring him a tree. Please don't bring him a tree. <laughs> and he brings him that bonsai tree. He's like, guy, you have not read the room. And when he walks out and dumps it in the in the parking lot, I was like, yeah, I, that's what I thought you were going to do. <laughs> but I was like, Daniel, don't, don't give him. Don't this is it. the wrong guy to give a tree to. Exactly. And, and I, I like what you said before. It not only shows he doesn't read the room, but they really were trying to kind of show Daniel, I think, from that perspective that was so much less sympathetic, that privilege. So they did um, want to do that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of honoring the original through those callbacks and Easter eggs that we mentioned, it, it, it's so obvious. We see it immediately in terms of all of the, the footage. They literally will stop and they'll show you yes. these flashbacks yes. to the originals. I thought when he's in that parking lot and he's drinking and he's thinking back, the way they shot that was so brilliant because they showed the film footage and then they've obviously hired two actors to be stand-ins where he's looking at the backs of their heads. Mm-hmm. And I thought that really 
brings you into, he's living this memory. He is seeing this memory in real time. I thought that was really smartly done. And, and as you go through the Cobra Kai, it is every episode. Oh, cool. Every single episode you have callbacks to... To, to famous bits of wisdom that Mr. Mm -hmm. Miyagi shared, to training techniques that, that Mr. Miyagi used with Daniel that he now is, you know, mirroring with his training of his little trainees, Robbie and Sam, and then others, of course, later. Oh, so Daniel must start a dojo as well? Yes, he does. Oh. Yes, he does. So there, it is just all over the place. One of the things that Ralph Macchio brought out in an interview was the fact that even the themes mirror the original Karate Kid. You had bullying that came out immediately in the Karate Kid movies as Daniel was bullied and then Mr. Miyagi had to step in and help him. And that same idea immediately comes out at the beginning of Cobra Kai where Miguel is being bullied and this time it's Johnny who is helping him. Yes. But we see bullying all throughout all three seasons of Cobra Kai. It's this, this pervasive thing that, that happens and you have both senseis helping their um, young charges to try to, to deal with that. So you have a repetition, repetition of that theme. You have these father-son relationships. Yeah. You had Daniel with Mr. Miyagi, but you had the father and son of Johnny and Miguel. You have father and son of Daniel and Robbie. I mean, you just have a lot of mirroring. Yes. I also liked that, and I don't know if you'll address this, I really liked the way they connected all the characters, where Daniel's daughter is the one that was in the truck that actually hit his car, mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, of course. They're, it seems like their lives are just intertwined, and of course, of course, she has a crush on the kid <laughs> that he had he beat up in the parking lot. And immediately I didn't like that kid, because we're not supposed to like that kid, I hope, at least not in episode one. And then he's lying to Daniel about how he got the black eye and the bruises on his knuckles. So mm -hmm. I was, that's why I was even more glad that, that Johnny told the truth. Right. Sort of. He didn't tell the whole story, but he at least started the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they do such a nice job of interweaving the characters and their lives and their relationships. And of course, in some ways, it's a little over the top and unrealistic, mm -hmm. but it works so well. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I love about Cobra Kai. Well, is it's even, kind of a soap opera. It, yes, it is. They don't try to be subtle. Like mm -hmm. these callbacks, mm -hmm. it's in your face. Yes, him driving, <laughs> him driving in his car, and he's like literally making faces at the memories. Like say, ooh, and he holds his head. Like, oh, that one hurt. <laughs> yes, they, they don't. They don't try to hold back. In fact, one of the another example of of some of those parallels are the fact that they went to the exact same arcade, the golf and stuff, for Miguel and Sam's date. That oh, was that the daughter. Yes. Oh, see? Yes. Okay, do you want me to tell my other little prediction? Because oh, I told ahead. you I told you off mic, but I'll tell everybody else. I was telling Candy that one of the things as I'm watching it, I'm I'm just saying if I was writing this what I would do. And in the lunchroom scene and is it I think it's episode two, which I really loved Miguel's new friends at the lunch table. <laughs> and um so when he looks at Sam is her name, his daughter? Yes. Okay, he looks over at Sam. I'm like, mm, if I was writing this, I would have the two of them be attracted to each other because that would heighten the conflict. Yes. And then as soon as I thought it, they gave each other little eyeballs. And then her, what's the kid that, Kai? He comes over and sits down and is like, get out of here. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, I bet that's going to happen because that's going to make it even worse for Johnny and Daniel if they're two little children love each other. Oh, yes. Yes, you, you nailed it. So again, going back to those parallels, they had 
as you predicted, they had their date. Miguel and Sam had a date at the exact same arcade where Daniel and Allie had had their date in the original movie. Elizabeth Shue, exactly. And then later in season three, another spoiler, Johnny will go back to that same arcade with Allie on a date. So Wait, wait, who's Allie? Allie. Elizabeth Shue? Elizabeth Shue. No. Yeah, yeah. As we've already said... The, the training mirrors the, the training that Daniel had with Mr. Miyagi. They use some of the exact same strategies. Daniel is having the, the kids do the sand the floor and the paint the fence. I mean, they are literally mimicking Reliving. some okay. of those exact same moves, including some of the same background music that would play mm. during the different training scenes. That just feels smart. It worked the first time. Right. And, and they're so aware of their fans. Yes. What is going to satisfy their fans? What will please their fans? You don't want to be subtle. You want to go ahead and put it out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then finally, one last example. The character who plays Tori is Peyton List. Now who's that? Tori is a character who comes up in later seasons. She's actually bullying Sam. She is a Cobra Kai who is very tough. So and she's not one of the, the high school girlfriends that Sam hangs out with. Right now. No, okay. no. She's going to come up later. And there is a scene when she comes after Samantha. They had already um, interacted in a fight scene where she beats Sam up, basically, okay. and, and cuts her. Oh. I mean, it, yeah, it's a very uh, traumatic moment for Samantha, Sam. And so in this later part, this later scene, Tori is coming after Sam, and they have her in a skeleton hoodie. Oh, and I saw the in the flashback that happened. Who was that in the flashback? Was that Johnny? That was Johnny. Okay. In the original movie, there's a whole scene where it's at a Halloween party, and mm-hmm. the Cobra Kai's um, Johnny and his buddies are in these these skeleton costumes, and they come after Daniel. In fact, and they and they beat him up. That was a very purposeful move that Tori, the character Tori Peyton List, talks about the fact that they put her in that hoodie just to mirror. You know, she is the Johnny character in that moment, and I Sam gotcha. is is the Daniel character. Gotcha. Yeah. I'll give one last example before we move to our next point. In addition to honoring the original through these footage and these mirroring of the exact same kind of events or, or moves, another really cool thing they did is they brought back the exact same 47 Ford Super Deluxe convertible into Cobra Kai that Mr. Miyagi had given to Daniel as a gift in the original Karate Kid movie. Hmm, that doesn't mean anything to me now, but it will later. It will. You're going to enjoy this even if you don't understand. Yes. So we saw a little teaser of it at the end of season two, and then in season three, we, we see the car. The cool part is it's the exact car. Oh, it is the car. It is the car. Oh. So Ralph Macchio said that right after they had kind of wrapped filming on Karate Kid 2, but prior to starting the filming of Karate Kid 3, he approached the head of Columbia Studios and he asked if he could buy the car. And he talked about how he always likes to keep something from every film that That's he does. That's a big something. That's a big something. But it was also not, I think, in the, in the best shape even then. Mm. I don't think it was like this perfect you know, vehicle. On the day that the Karate Kid 2 was released, he comes to his home and he sees that car sitting on a flatbed truck in front of his house in Long Island, New York. And it was a gift to him from Columbia Pictures. They gave it to him. They gave it to him. And so what's really cool is he shared 
that even then again, it was pretty old. It was not in great shape. So it just sat and it was in storage. And he talked about how his family would tease him about it. They tried at different points to get him to get rid of it. There was a joke that instead of a white elephant, it was their yellow elephant, (laughs) but he never got rid of it. And so when this Cobra Kai opportunity came up, they said, we're going to use the same car. And they took his car. They they brought it in from New York to Atlanta, which is where most of the filming takes place. They had to totally overhaul to get it to operate and to work again. And they, they did that work in Atlanta. And then they used it in Cobra Kai. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. Okay, so I have a, a really quick question. Sure. Obviously, he didn't know that there was going to be a, a show in the future. How did this come about? Whose idea was it to do Cobra Kai and why did they decide to go from that angle? Do you do you know any of that origin? I read a little bit about that in a couple of the interviews. Okay. So I don't know if I have the perfect answer, but I think I can offer a couple of insights. Okay. Ralph Macchio shared that he had been approached several times over the years about doing some kind of a reboot or somehow, you know, coming back with a story that built off the original Karate Kid. And he would turn it down because he didn't feel like it was the right premise or, or he just didn't feel strongly about the project. But in this case... He said when they approached him and they made the pitch, they'd actually made the pitch separately to Billy Zapka. Yeah, the the actor's name is William or Billy Zapka. They had made the pitch to them separately. And Ralph Macchio shared that in his pitch, they had such a great idea. There was humor, but they also, to him, they showed that they had the heart. In fact, This is Ralph saying this? This is Ralph Macchio. Okay. In, in, in fact, you're leading me into my second point. Oh, okay. Uh, the okay. second reason why I feel that Cobra Kai was, has been so successful is because the producers, Ralph Macchio said this, he said he could tell the producers themselves were huge Karate Kid fans and they wanted to be true to the heart. They, they cared about the characters. They cared about the story and he knew that they were going to do justice to it. He, you know, s- saying that, I saw... I saw in the credits, because I'm one of those people that likes to watch the credits, mm-hmm. when it, opening credits, it said uh, co-producer was, was Ralph Macchio, but I noticed executive producers was Will Smith mm-hmm. and yes. John Lasseter. Do you know who John Lasseter is? Wasn't he on Night Court? No. No, who is he? Th- you're thinking of John Larroquette. Oh, yes. John yes. Lasseter is from Pixar. <gasps> and I believe he's the one that was, if I'm right, he's the one that was in the director of The Incredibles oh. and all those Pixar movies that you love, the stories that you mm, love, which makes me heart. go, okay, he knows he knows how to tell a story with heart. Absolutely. Yeah, I forget who the third executive producer was, but John Lasseter was the second. I love that. Well, Ralph shared that as they were making the pitch to him, they, were, they kept calling it a comedy. And, mm. and I love this. He said, I'm going to pull up my paper here because I want to get this quote right. He said one of his first questions he asked then was, so if this is supposed to be a comedy, where are the Miyagi-isms? How will they be woven into it? And then Ralph said he knew, he told them, there has to be a balance between the fun and the comedy and the heart and the wisdom that came from Mr. Miyagi. And this is his literal quote. We're not doing this without Pat. Oh. I know. And he said, then as the producers went on talking, he could tell that they had no intention of doing it without Pat, that oh. they had the heart, that they, Mr. Miyagi-isms and those, the wisdom and those, those feelings and those relationships were going to come right into Cobra Kai, and that's what convinced him to give it a shot. That's great. Yeah, and he even said, another quote was he talked about, he felt like Cobra Kai was so successful because it had the human element, 
and that it really relied on relationships in addition to the nostalgia. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it was really cool. He, he brought out that, of course, Pat Morita has passed away mm-hmm. um, quite a while ago, but his daughter came out one day to the filming of Cobra Kai and he took pictures with Mr. Miyagi's daughter, mm. you know, Pat Morita's daughter in real life. And, and he talked about what, how, what a special thing that was for him because he really just felt so connected to Pat Morita from doing those films with him. That's really cool. I wonder if she liked her day on set or if she approved or if she knew anything about the, the show. I don't know a lot of detail about that, mm. but based on the inferences I can make from the pictures they took and from the way he presented it, it sounded like she was very proud and very happy. That's cool. Did yeah. she have a, a small role or she no was just no she was just there to visit just, just to okay. see it in action mm-hmm. this the second element that i think is so important to the success of cobra kai is the heart it's not just honoring the original through all those callbacks and the footage but it's honoring the people and the relationships so we've talked about how they honored pat marita's character mm-hmm. mr miyagi but here's another example that might not be as well known but it really kind of touched me in the original movie Karate Kid, the 1984 version, we see the character Tommy. He is one of Johnny's fellow Cobra Kai... Lackeys. Exactly. Thank you for the word. Uh And he was also in Karate Kid too, although I don't think his part was very big. And uh, he is actually the one who they show him during the big fight scene at the All-Valley competition. He's the one who yells, get him a a body bag. And so they decided to bring Tommy and some of those other friends into Cobra Kai. What they did was they, they had the premise that Tommy was sick. And the, the guys, the Cobra Kai's, decided that they were going to break him out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had this terminal illness. They mm-hmm. wanted to give him one last great day together. Mm-hmm. And so they, they ride motorcycles. They go to a bar. They get into a bar fight. They mm-hmm. sit around a campfire. They share all these stories. And, and then they literally wake up and Tommy has died. Oh, my gosh. I know. And um, did they say get him a body bag? They put him in a body oh bag. Oh, my God. And this is the thing. My son and I had this conversation where he was like, what are they doing? Why are they putting this character in a body bag when they just had this really touching scene, you know, this whole this whole day together and they had, they had this campfire heart to heart. Why did they put him in a body bag? And then we realized it was a nod. It was to this that character's line. Yes. It was his most famous line. It was what he was known for. I think it turned into T-shirts, oh um, slogans. <laughs> In fact, the, the fellow's name is Rob Garrison. The actor who played Tommy was Rob Garrison. He mm-hmm. had talked about that he actually never said that line when he was filming. He had to loop it in a couple of months oh. later, and he was brought to the recording booth, and the producer asked him, he said, we just need two seconds of something. Just, just give me something. And he said that Rob Garrison said that the first thing that came out of his mouth was get him a body bag on his very first try. And the producer looked at him and says, that's going to be a classic. You will never be forgotten because of that line. Wow. And so they wanted to do that as a nod. Like it might have seemed a little morbid or a little wrong, but it was meant to be kind of a way of saying this was something big for you and for your Mm -hmm. character. And so they put, they put that character of Tommy in the body bag. In real life, Rob Garrison was actually suffering from kidney and liver failure. Oh, I was going to ask. And oh. he and he died on oh. September 27, 2019. He was only 59 years of age. Oh, man. And so they honor him at the end of the first episode of season three 
with this heartbreaking tribute. It just kind of has his name. It lists the years 1960 to 2019. And then there's a note that says, Cobra Kai never dies. Mm, man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Ooh. So so we have heart there. We do. Okay. That made me a little teary. I know. It, 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 it touched me, too. Okay. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a piece of trivia to lighten that. Um, when you said that he ad-libbed that line and it became this amazing line that he was known for, mm-hmm. it reminded me, and don't ask me for the source because I take in a lot of trivia and I couldn't tell you where I saw it. It was some YouTube video somewhere. Did you know that if you've seen it in the movie, and again, spoilers, guys, I surely you've seen Endgame by now, Avengers Endgame, but in Avengers Endgame, when Robert Downey Jr. snaps his fingers and says, and I am Iron Man, mm-hmm. he came back and did that. He originally just snapped his fingers, and he did not say that line. But they brought him back. They took a little convincing, but they brought him back to the studio, and he reshot. So if you notice, his hair looks a little bit different. It's a little more spiky, because that is an inserted scene where he's... But they felt like that really um, bookended his character. Mm. Because when you find out he's Iron Man, Mm -hmm. he says, I am Iron Man. And then when he ends his time as Iron Man, he says, and I am Iron Man. Ooh. That kind of gets me, too. I know. I love that. For the third example of the heart, which I think also exemplifies what we said before, the fact that our producers are really super fans themselves and Mm -hmm. they care so much about the characters. It comes out, I think, in the way that they use Elizabeth Shue's character, Allie. Okay. Is she a long-term cast member or a special guest? She is a special guest. Mm -hmm. In fact, as a Cobra Kai watcher, a viewer... I kept waiting for her to come. I didn't even watch the original Karate Kid movies, but I knew Elizabeth <laughs> Shue. Fl- and I'm you like, knew how they- much she meant to Johnny in, because of those flashbacks. Absolutely. Uh, yes. And the fact that throughout Cobra Kai, of course, you know, there's some message sending and some references. And so I kept waiting for this, this character to come up. So what's really cool is that the producers talked about the fact that they knew all along they wanted to bring her character, Allie Mills, they wanted to bring Allie in, but they mm-hmm. wasn't sure what the best time would be. Okay. And they wanted it to be very impactful. Okay. And, and they admitted, they said, everybody loved, everybody loved Allie. And they talked about the fact that they were in love with her character when, so they, were, why when they were was younger. It, okay. So is it because she she's an Oscar winner, right? So is it because, why wasn't she the one married to Ralph Macchio? When the series started, if he was, if she was his girlfriend in the movies, is, do they talk about that? My understanding is as the movies go on, when you get to like movie two and movie three, Elizabeth Shue is not Daniel's girlfriend okay. even back then. Okay. Okay. Yes. But, and uh, this is where super fans are going to be irritated with us for not knowing more <laughs> so about Karate Kid 2 and 3. But I think also they wouldn't want Daniel to have one alley. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, if they're yeah, going to yeah. set them up to be rivals who could potentially turn to friends, I don't think you'd want Allie to still be in the Just mix Just tell me now, that. do they become friends? Yes. Yes, yes thank you. <laughs> Woody and Buzz forever. We're, we're getting there. But oh, I'm so happy. You've got now good I things can, ahead. Now I can, I can ease, I can actually watch this with more comfort because that's what I immediately thought. I was like, oh, be friends, be friends, be friends. <laughs> well, in fact, you, you've actually fed into this part that I'm going to talk about because they used Allie to help. Producers talked about the fact that even though having watched the 1984 original. It was not Allie's fault. Johnny clearly was the jerk. They mm-hmm. were they were definitely broken up okay. before Daniel came into that picture. He okay. did not break them up. 
However, they talked about the fact that she was a source of conflict in yes. the 1984 movie. She was the one who they both wanted. And, and right. so because the fellas were both going after her, that was that was a lot of the rivalry and a lot of the hostility between them mm-hmm. was because of that competition for her. So the producers decided, you know what? We love this character. If she was the source of conflict before, let's let her be the one who unites them. Oh. Let's let her be the one to have these meaningful scenes with both characters. And they did this. In in her episode where she appears, it is a beautiful thing. She gets to have meaningful scenes, meaningful interactions with Daniel. She has meaningful scenes, meaningful interactions with Johnny. And then it is her wisdom and the moves she makes that pushes them toward finally resolving their conflict and realizing that they actually have things in common. Oh, that's so good. And so I think that choice that the producers made to me was powerful. And, and here's here's a quote. As producer John Hurwitz said in an Entertainment Weekly interview, she helped these guys look in the mirror and recognize that perhaps they're not so different after all. I love it. I yeah. love it. When does this happen? Season two? Oh, this is the very end of season three. Oh. Yeah, this is we. So they're not we, friends we until out. the end of season three. Ashley, this is an ongoing <laughs> battle. Yes, we have a lot of rivalry, a lot of conflict. How many episodes we, are per season? Um, I believe it's ten. Okay, but you'd have to check me on that. I can handle it. Thirty episodes before they become friends. Okay. Okay. So we have one more key element that I think is critical to the success of Cobra Kai. But before we dig into that, yes. do you think we should take a little break? Oh yes, definitely. So the final element that I think helps to make Cobra Kai such a success is the fact that these producers, while honoring the original and the relationships and the nostalgia, they also make it their own. Yeah, I like that. These guys are clever and they have some vision. They have some great ideas. And so I'm going to give you a couple of examples, which we've already touched on a a few of these, but, but just to kind of develop them a little more. One thing they do is they revamp that whole persona that Johnny has developed, that identity that that he has when he comes out of those Karate Kid movies. We talked about the fact that they intentionally made him more sympathetic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was a choice. They knew that if we were going to root for Johnny, if we were going to see Daniel and Johnny both as heroes or both as, as characters that we rooted for, then it was Johnny that needed some very intentional focus at yeah, the beginning. I, I don't even, yes, I felt sympathy for him. I felt sorry for him, but I also felt empathy for him. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt for him. I, I could see where he was coming from and why he was so wounded. So I didn't just pity him. I also rooted for him. I like that word. You said empathy, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Exactly. One thing that they did to create that, in addition to the things that we've already named, is they went and found unused footage. They went into their vaults and they found scenes from the big fight that had never been used in the original Karate Kid movie, had never before been seen by anybody else. But they put in this footage that focused on Johnny. They were showing the hit. They were showing Johnny's face and how he went down, how he laid on the mat. They made such a point of showing Johnny's perspective to try to really create again some of this. Oh, that's a question I had. I wondered if once after he got kicked in the face and he was laying on that mat, 
was that really him or was that a reenactment? Because it was such a perfect transition where they zoomed in on his shirt and then they pulled out and he's grown up on his bed. And of course they could match that footage, but I didn't know was, was that? That was, that was the footage that they found Ah. that it was originally shot, but had not been used. And was the footage of his sensei beating him up at the parking lot? Because that really made me feel the empathy for him, where he's choking him. Was that new footage? I believe that's at the beginning of the Karate Kid 2 movie, okay. but that was used footage. That, okay. that had been okay. shown before. Okay. Yes. They were so successful in doing that. Not only people like us, fans have said it, but in an article in Men's Health, there was a quote that said, Zabka's performance as Johnny is humanizing, hilarious, and charming all at the same time. Great description. I, I thought so too. But to feed into that a little bit more, the producers not just created this this empathy and, and, and this sympathetic feel for Johnny, they actually fed into a fan theory that oh. had become popular, which I thought was super cool. It had started a while, I don't know how long ago, but in recent years, there's a fan theory that Johnny was the one who was mistreated in the original movie, that it was Daniel who was the bully, oh. and that Johnny had gotten the raw end of the deal. In fact, there are t-shirts. I looked it up this week. I found a t-shirt, Justice for Johnny. It was on <laughs> Etsy. And so this is this whole thing, apparently, that the fans had started sending around. Well, I don't know if, of course, I haven't seen the film, but I don't know that Daniel was the bully. I think that Johnny Sensei was the bully. So that's who I would paint as the real villain. Absolutely. And in fact, the character you're talking about is a huge part of season two and season three in particular. Okay. Um, is he ta- still alive? He is. Was and he in it? He is in it. Mm. And he is being set up as the villain. The super Ashley. villain, the one that yes. unite against? Yes. You're, you've, you've predicted it all. I believe that well, actor's I, name is Martin Cove. I can't say predicted it all. I've just gone like if... Well, golly, this sounds like I'm patting myself in the back. Like, if I was a writer, here's what I would do. But, yeah, great job, writers. Great job. They have done an excellent job. But here's how clever they are. So they decided, again, in making Johnny sympathetic, one of the ways to do it is to to do this twist, as though he's the one who was bullied by Daniel. And so in season three, there is this scene where they're in a community council meeting because everybody in town has decided that they should you know, outlaw karate and should not allow the karate tournament. I thought this was Karate Kid, not Footloose. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so they have Daniel trying to argue that the karate tournament should be allowed. And this voice from the crowd yells, I heard you were the real bully, (laughs) which, which was a nod to the fan theory. And what's really cute is the person who yells that is the co-creator, Josh, I hope I'll say his last name right, Healed, H-E-A-L-D. And so... It's the actual co-creator who yells that, and he does it on purpose just to reference that popular fan theory. That's cool. Very cute. So that's one way that they've made it their own is through revamping Johnny and and his identity. Mm -hmm. A second way that I think they've made it their own is through, you, you referenced this a while ago, their humor and some of those really deep inside jokes that they make. Yes. The body bag, we've already mentioned that. That is definitely an inside joke that unless you were a super fan, you, you may not it. have caught that. Right. Mm-hmm. Another few examples that come to mind. It's, it's kind of cute. I will confess that I did not get this watching Cobra Kai, but then after I went back and I watched Karate Kid, now I get it. Mm. There's a scene where Miguel is cleaning windows in Johnny's dojo. And of course, here's... Is this episode two? I've seen that one. Yes. I okay. think Yes, okay. I think you saw that. And so they set it up. They, you have Miguel, he's, he's cleaning the glass. He's doing the the wax on, wax off. Well, he, you think he is. Ah. He's, he's cleaning the glass and he looks over at Johnny and he says, 
is there any special way Uh you want me to do this, which Uh is a clear setup for Uh Wax On, Wax Off? And Johnny looks up at him and says, basically, no, I don't give a crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that too. I thought, aren't you supposed to say Wax On, Wax Off? Just a, a clever little inside joke. Another example is Daniel, Allie, and Johnny at the end of season three end up at the same country club that we had seen in the original movie. It was a scene where Johnny acts inappropriately towards Allie and Daniel had been hiding in the kitchen. He was watching and he thinks that they're kissing each other. He gets upset, he backs up, and he ends up with, I think, spaghetti sauce all over him, and he is in a white outfit. And so now in Cobra Kai, at the end of season three, all these years later, when they're in the scene together, Daniel and Allie are talking to each other. Johnny is the one walking up, and he sees them and gets a little... Jealous. A little jealous. And this waiter bumps into him carrying some food, and Johnny says... Hey, watch it. I'm wearing white here. I think I want that all over me. That's cute. Very cute, right? One last example. This one is very subtle. Very subtle. At the very beginning of the 1984 Karate Kid movie, you have Ralph Macchio's character Daniel moving into his new apartment, and he immediately runs into this other teenager named Freddy Fernandez. I did not even notice this, but apparently Freddy is wearing this shirt that has these cartoon characters. They're they're two pigs, but they look very cartoonish. And apparently they're getting busy. And it has this little phrase that says, making bacon. Oh, well, okay. And so this t-shirt, I did not know this until I did my research, became so popular that like over the years, they have sold multiple copies of this t-shirt. Lots of people own it. And in fact, the actor who played Freddy Fernandez, his name is Israel Warbe, if I said that correctly, he now sells those t-shirts on Etsy himself. <laughs> that's and cute. Autographed with oh, his that's, autograph that's cool. and makes some good money doing this. Nice. Let me see if I get this right. Oh, it is season two, episode seven of Cobra Kai. Daniel LaRusso takes his trainees into a refrigerated meat locker. He's going to do some training there. And you look on the shelves, there are boxes that have labels for the Fernandez Meat Company. Oh my, that is a deep callback. That is a, exactly. So it's just this little clever sense of humor, which, you know, these deep inside jokes that help to make it their own. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. So finally, the last way that I think these producers and writers make the show their own is through doing exactly what you predicted just a little bit ago. They have now taken Crease. They have turned him into, by the end of season three, the new villain. That's the sensei? The mean that sensei? Is, that is the mean sensei. The blonde John Travolta? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I saw that. that dimple in that chin. I would have never thought of that, but you are now so you right. Now you will. Now I will. And then they they join forces between Johnny and Daniel. But in doing so, they, they gave Crease a whole backstory. Okay. And the producers talk about this. I love the insights. It's just so so powerful to hear their thinking. They talked about the fact that Crease is such a black and white character. Yes. He they had given him no gray at all. Every mm-hmm. every bit of his development in the original Karate Kid movies had been pretty much he was just this really hateful ter- person. Terrible yeah, a terrible character. And so they wanted to give him just a little bit of sympathy as oh, well. Gosh. And so with his backstory, they started him as the underdog. They oh, had golly. him in a situation okay. where he's being bullied himself. Mm-hmm. We see him falling in love. 
And then they send him to Vietnam. Oh. He's in the Vietnam War. And the producer said that they had to ask themselves, how could we create this character who believably lives by the philosophy, no mercy? Like mm. he thinks that this is what people should live by. Mm-hmm. And they decided that the only way that could happen is if he was put into a situation where because he showed mercy, it backfired oh. and there was life and death situations and, and, and people suffered. And he suffered. And so that's part of why they created this entire backstory to help us understand and believe that this man truly does live by this philosophy See, that is such good writing. Wow, that is such good writing. Absolutely. And in the meantime, they shared a few insights about Daniel and Johnny. They talked about the fact that it was gold, that every single time throughout all three seasons that they put... Daniel, LaRusso, and Johnny in a scene. It was mm. just automatic chemistry. Electric, uh, yes. Exactly. And so they they purposefully would look for every moment where they could bring them together. You know, they knew that the fans would be like, are they going to fight? Are they going to mm-hmm. argue? Like, how, how, what, what kind of barbs are they going to throw at each other? Are they going to get along? Well, my gosh, these guys have grown up together. Exactly. Do they get along in real life? I would I, I would assume that they do. I saw in a couple of interviews that they referenced that they've been friends. I don't know okay. how close, but that they've been friends all these years. Well, they have great on-screen chemistry, and I saw that just from episode two. I agree. They um, had one little confrontation. I was already like, oh, be friends, you know? Yes. And so that's that's one of the things they said is when they finally, after those three seasons of all of this conflict and, you know, are they going to fight? Are they not? Are they going to get along? Are they not? They said that when they brought them together, which, by the way, Ashley, it is at the very end of that final episode. <sighs> like the last episode. minute? Yes, exactly. Exactly, of season three, they said that that just made it, they hoped, this intensely satisfying moment for I think it must have, because I had some Facebook friends. I'm not going to repeat the language they use, but it was like, (laughs) they bleeping loved it. Yes, I I did too. And like I said, I'm not the Karate Kid fan. I'm not the the diehard the way that I know. Do they ever fight like physically altercate? Oh yes. Oh. (laughs) Oh yes. And and it's fun to watch. I have to confess. Okay. But seeing them join forces at the end of season three and knowing what's coming or predicting what's coming. It was an amazing moment. I, I, it feels so good. Well, Ashley, we have wrapped this little foray into what I believe to be the elements that led to the success. Well, that of was Cobra really good. Kai. I liked that. But you know, we always like to end with a little bit of our speculation. Mm-hmm. Our, our... I feel like I've been speculating the whole time. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> having not seen anything, I'm wildly speculating. <laughs> but we like to do our armchair psychologist moment. Armchair psychologist. This opportunity to sit back and offer opinions that have absolutely no validity. None. And should not be... Taken um, seriously. Exactly. Or taken to the bank (laughs) or cashed in for any monetary value. 100%. (laughs) So I thought I would throw this question at you. Yes. We just spent all this time talking about what we believe to be the, the power, the the factors that led to the success of this reboot mm-hmm. of a classic film franchise. Are you going to ask me what film franchise I would love to see rebooted? I have the answer. Really? Yeah. Okay, that is my question. Let's hear it. Goonies. Defend. Uh, why wouldn't you? It was the ultimate movie. It's, it has not been topped for any kind of child adventure story. It had pirates. It had friendship. It had bullying. It had sibling rivalry and love and young romance it was the perfect Mm. film and i would love to see them as adults to see where they are to see where their children are i think there is endless 
story opportunities there. You can hire me to be on this, <laughs> the script writing. They've been saying that they were going to do a sequel to it. I don't want to see a sequel. I want it to be developed. Mm. I want to see their children solving crimes or the new Hardy Boys or whatever. That 80s, I would be there every day. I would work for free, not for free, but I would work on that. I would love it. I would love it. So you see the the stars would be the children, and then for the nostalgia, we would just have kind of the cameos. From no, the... I would see the stars. Sean Astin is the dad, Mikey. He's the Ralph Macchio character, and his son is now struggling with things, and all of his buddies, like, they, where have they gone? I want to know, are they all still friends? What is happening in their lives? Of course, we don't have uh, Sloth anymore. Did his older brother end up with a cheerleader? If not, where <laughs> are they? Did Mouth end up with his girl? You know, just, I would just love to see them. I want to spend more time with those people. Well, that that's kind of my question, because when I think about... Cobra Kai, mm -hmm. we have almost two separate story arcs. Daniel and Johnny are clearly stars of mm -hmm. Cobra Kai, and mm -hmm. they have a very important storyline that mm -hmm. drives this entire series. At the same time, the young actors have another storyline that's just as powerful. In mm -hmm. fact, their storyline is mirroring the 1984 right, right. situation, right. you know, but in a different way, you know, they're the grown up version, whereas our young people are kind of reliving the same events. Yeah. When I think about Goonies in the way that you described it, do you see the, those adults like, yes, we want to know what happened to them, but it's almost like the parents on 90210 where no, they're just kind of no. in the background? No, or no, would no. they have a full storyline? Yes, they would have a full storyline because they were interesting people and they had mm -hmm. so much, they had so much heart. I wanted to be written in the same rich vein that Cobra Kai seems to be written mm -hmm. in. I want them to have agency. I want them to have a plot. I, I, Sean Astin gives inspirational speeches like no one else in cinema. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at all the, the go I don't know if you've seen the Goonies, but his speech that he gives down in the well, I still say it's our time now. I mean, I think about those <laughs> things. And then he had the same, he had an, I think he had an inspirational speech in Rudy. He had the inspirational mm, speech yeah. in the Hobbit films, the Lord of the Rings. I mean, he just drips with mm. empathy and I just, I want to hug him <laughs> and yeah. I want to be his friend. He's always the good guy, isn't he? Even he is, in Stranger Things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, Bob, Bob. Mm. I was, I was so sad Spoiler, guys. This this is just like spoiler city. <laughs> but I was so emotionally upset when Bob meets his demise in Stranger Things. I had to pause the video and go breathe because because <laughs> I, I spent most of the thing going, okay, he's such a nice guy. Are they he setting is us such up? A nice guy. Him and Paul Reiser. I was both, but both of them. I thought, are they genuine or is this going to be a big reveal where they're working for the other side and they're right. the big bads? Nope. He was just a good guy that whole time and when mm -hmm. he died and he just he just loved her and I I, I was like oh I can't handle this because mm -hmm. then it's like you think about his real passing and I don't I don't want to live in a world without Mikey <laughs> I love it well I had a thought about another 80s movie the princess bride oh golly wouldn't that make a great reboot? Like you have so many characters that you could almost like, you could almost follow different characters and their arcs. And instead of it having, having one plot, mm -hmm. you could almost have... follow each of their, their origin stories. Yes, or kind of like but a... that is so precious. Do you feel like it would be hard? I heard a, a story and analyst say that that, is such a mess of a movie. You can't really figure out who is the main character. 
is it Buttercup? Not really. You just follow her for a little bit. Is it Wesley? Not really, because he's mostly dead for some of it. So it truly is this ensemble piece that you... There's no real explanation for how, there's no academic explanation for how popular that film was other than it was perfectly cast, perfectly directed, Mm -hmm. perfectly acted, and perfectly written. But I think, I agree with everything you said, the humor too, amazing. Oh yeah. But I think the fact that it was an ensemble piece Mm -hmm. that went everywhere is why it could work Mm. because... It, it actually opens itself up to just be, you use the term adventure. Like mm-hmm, it could mm-hmm. just almost be this. So this maybe impetus, we would, would we pick up where we left off or would we go to the future and then look back at what their lives were or how do you envision it? Would we see him be the dread pirate Roberts? Oh my ego? I've had all of 10 seconds now <laughs> to think about this, but I think that you could pick up years later and you could have followed each person could be dealing with their own conflict. You could you could just kind of follow different And characters. now with technology, they could de-age them like they did with Michael Douglas in Ant-Man. Ooh. And we could they could play the younger versions of themselves and we could see them probably. I think we need to work on this one too. Yeah. There's so much potential. We here. are available for hire. <laughs> well, that was fun, Ashley. I really enjoyed talking about I did Cobra too. Kai. I'm so glad you talked me into watching that. That's gonna be I've got another series that I'm gonna finish up and then I'm gonna really dive into that one and I, I watched it while I was on the treadmill. And the, the time passed so quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's a definite thumbs up for me. If you can make me not notice that I'm on the treadmill, you get a thumbs up A+. plus. That is a win. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, cheers to 80s reboots and powerful writing and lots of heart. Amen. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the hosts during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.